Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Hook Em Up indeed. Hook Em Up indeed. It's uh, hour four of our five-hour conversation this morning as we uh, talk all from bowling in the last hour of Cornhole at the end of the last hour as well. Uh, but we're going to pick it up. We're going to talk to Drew Bishop here coming up. Of course, talk some Texas baseball. But I did get some texts in here, Rob. This is interesting about bowling and where you can go bowling with the Highland Lanes. About to uh, it's about to close down. Our, uh, what did I, I got from one from our guy, uh, Juan Cosby. Hey. Yeah, man. Um, let, me, let me get this. It says, Top Golf, talking, adding bowling as well. Uh, it says, the professional league cornhole is true. Uh, I won the tournament at my golf club. <laughs> wow. More popular than bowling now, cornhole. That's according to Quan. More popular than bowling now. So maybe they'll be coming up like more cornhole like um, leagues and maybe with these uh, like, you know, the different restaurants and stuff where they have all like the outside games that you can play at some of the bars and restaurants. Maybe they'll start throwing out more cornhole, man. I mean, cornhole is still pretty damn popular. It's always been really popular. More popular than bowling? But to get, a, to, get a, a to get a good cornhole game going, you've got to have a nice cornhole set. There's, no, there's nothing worse than playing it on, like, a plastic one where the boards are falling down or moving kind around. Kind of rickety. Yeah. I agree with that. No, it's got to be quality. Uh, yeah, cornhole. Having fun with it. I mean, I, I, I do prefer washers over that, but I will tell you, my attention span's pretty short. I get bored with those games real fast. Oh, uh, Washers? Really? Yeah. I can I, play I just, washers all night. See, I can lose my interest after a few. I just get like, oh, I'm bored of this. Yeah, I can see that. But, it, you know, it's competitive. It's something to do while you're drinking beers and, you know, so you just sit around talk to talk to the ladies. As long as, long as, it's, a, long as it's a competitive atmosphere, I can play it for a while. No, we got to be some trash talking going on. You got to be, you know, we got to be keeping this real score, not just very casual. If it's casual, no, nah, I'm, I'm out. But I, if, it, if it's like really competitive, I'm in. I'm yeah, because you like the competition. Yeah, so if it's casual, sometimes it's too, it's too casual. Not keeping score, kids running through it. All right, you know what? I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm just going to go over and drink. <laughs> but we're really, we're really competing, and we're talking about winning something. I can call myself a champion. Hell yeah, I'm in. Hell yeah. I'm uh, in. Uh, yeah, because you want bragging rights, baby. Well, you can do anything. You play marbles and <laughs> play compete. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I need the competitive atmosphere, but sometimes it gets too casual and loose, and people are like, it's just for fun. It's like, all right, they're just for fun. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I don't plow that in it just for the fun. No, I get way too into it. Yeah, no, that's funny. That's mm-hmm. funny. I remember I'd be being like seven years old going to uh, Fourth of July picnics in Ohio, and they played lawn darts. Like lawn, lawn? darts. Do you remember that oh. they had to ban them? Oh, wow, being, when you throw them up in this, like, yes. that's real? Yeah, I remember being seven I thinking. That was a fake game. That's a real game? I remember being seven thinking, this is not very safe. <laughs> I mean, you got kids running around. I, I thought that was no. something that people made up in the hood. No, essentially, you would put a hula hoop however far distance apart, and you would have the lawn dart, and you would and it would be weighted at the end like Ooh. real heavy. And you would they, flick it. You, my uncles and cousins, they would flick it up in the air, and you're trying to land in the hoop. What? 20 feet away or whatever it is. Oh, how sharp are these things? Well, they're not sharp. I mean, they're, 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 they're just like a ball at the end. But you say it can hit something. It, oh, it, it can, can knock you. It will kill you. Wow. So I, so you get some, get some 
Back in the day in Ohio, it was Paps Blue Ribbon. Get some Paps Blue Ribbons going. Yeah, and, uh, and people not paying attention, walking oh, through stuff. Yeah, or somebody I, with a wild throw. I believe they got outlawed. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Lawn got outlawed. There is no downs. Come on, man. That oh. sounds dangerous. Yeah, I remember being a kid thinking, yeah, that looks. It's like, this is, nah, I'm a kid, and I like dangerous stuff. This is dangerous. <laughs> How many beers has Uncle Jerry had? What's he got that dark doing? <laughs> Seriously. I love hey. that we play these games with sh- this sharp objects, heavy objects, and yet we're drinking inebriated the whole time. Like that, don't they got that hat? Have you, ever, have you ever seen that uh, with the bar games where they let you throw a hatchet? Yeah. Oh. At yeah. a target? I have, I have done the hatchet throws before. And it's like, well, why, am I, why do I have a hatchet and a beer? And <laughs> why do I have a beer in one hand and a hatchet in the other? That should never happen. America, damn it. America, damn it. All right. <laughs> let's uh, go to the Vaqueros hotline. And uh, baseball season is here. As football season winds down. We know the Astros and Rangers are going to spring training and pitchers and catchers. But we got college baseball. It's going to be a great year. The Longhorns' final season as a member of the Big 12 Conference begins this weekend with San Diego in town. And who better to preview the upcoming season, the roster, the schedule, and then and uh, he is the director of scouting at Five Tool Baseball, but a former assistant AD and baseball operator at Texas under David Pierce, a Texas baseball alum, former player there. He is Drew Bishop. Drew, how are you, man? Welcome to the show. I'm good. I'm good. Happy baseball season. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Nice. And uh, I was saying this earlier to Rod because we were looking through this roster, and it does feel like this team for David Pierce – uh, I want to talk about the coaching staff changes and, and remind everybody of everything that's changed. But but the team itself kind of reminds me a little bit of the football team where you had some veteran guys that could have moved on or you probably expected to move on that didn't. You also have some young guys who were freshmen last year that you expect to take a big step forward as sophomores. And then you've got this young freshman class that are coming in. Uh, I think it's going to make for a pretty deep team, especially when you get guys like Porter Brown and um, you know Peyton Powell uh, to be back on Jack O'Dowd at second base. I mean, these are guys that are going to be back as veterans with a young core as well. Yeah, it's huge. You know, when I was still working with the team, I mean, it, it's, it's nice to be able to go lay your head down at night when you're a coaching staff. Uh, knowing that you have that experience, uh, especially in some key spots. You know, you've got, you've got guys, like you mentioned, you have Jared Thomas back, Peyton Powell, uh, Porter Brown in the outfield. So you've got you have people at pretty much every level um, of the defense and throughout the lineup. Uh, and then bringing a guy back like LeBaron Johnson to have the pencil in every Friday night is, uh, is just something that gives you a, a good start and a good feel going into every single weekend. No question about that. So uh, start at the pitching staff, and then Rod will get into the position players. But uh, when you talk to you said LBJ, LeBaron Johnson Jr., we all remember that amazing uh, performance at Miami last year in the playoff in the uh, tournament. And uh, LBJ really got a hold. I mean, no one works harder, according to David Pierce, on his craft and trying to get better to develop himself. But he's back on Fridays. You got Charlie Hurley. You got Tanner Witt. Just give us your overview of those four guys and some other guys that could challenge for uh, starting rotation spots this, this season for Texas. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, it's it, it's going to be a pretty pretty cool thing to follow throughout the uh, preseason, or I guess before we get to conference. Um, you know, you got Le- LeBaron on Friday. Uh, you know, Charlie Hurley's back. I think he'll start out the the, the season on Saturdays, and then Sundays you could go a number of routes. Um, you know, that might be the spot that you use Tanner. Uh, you have Luke Harrison coming off of an injury that's been throwing the ball well. And then Cody Howard's been throwing the ball well too. So, um, you know, there, there's going to be some options, you know, it's, it's always, you know, it's, it'd be nice to pencil in and know who you're going to have as your starting three heading into any season. But, you know, at this time of the year, it's kind of a big puzzle 
you know, you kind of look at it. You got four games a week. You're trying to trying to fill 36 innings is really what it boils down to. And you know, with the prevalence, you know, at the major league level and starting to creep down into college with using openers and stuff like that, um, you know, especially with some guys coming off injury, you know, I, I think it's uh, the responsible thing to do. I think is what Coach Pierce has wanted to do and find a way to work those guys in early in the season. Um, and, you know, be ready to go by the time you, you hit conference play, uh, which is which is something to, to pay attention to. But there's, there's a number of guys that will be in the mix for some of those innings to, you know, to complete those 36 innings over the course of a week. You know, you mentioned LeBaron's going to give you a good chunk. I think uh, Hurley's going to give you a good chunk. We mentioned Witt, mentioned Cody Howard. Uh, Max Grubbs is a guy that I think is going to get some innings. Cole Selvig uh, on the freshman side. Um, and then you've got some, some guys at the back end of the bullpen that I think people are excited to see uh, with Gage Bame uh, and the Fontenot kid who transferred in from McClendon after being at LSU. And then having a guy like David Shaw back in the mix um, returning so quick after an injury is, is going to be a huge uh, shot in the arm for them. You know, no pun intended, of course. But, um, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think is going to be counted on as kind of a leader of the bullpen. Uh, you know what you're getting with him. He's super competitive. Uh, guys seem to listen to him. Um, and then on on the freshman side of things, mentioned Cole Selvig, who's thrown the ball well. Easton Toomey's is a freshman that they're really excited about. And then Hudson Hamilton uh, is a kid too that you know he just kind of has that mentality. You know a lot of the things that people said about Chance Ruffin as far as you know the bulldog on the mound that being tough, wanting the moment. I think a lot of that stuff is kind of what you hear about Hudson. So. Um, the exciting thing for, for us and for Texas fans is that you have a lot of options, um, and that will afford him the ability to kind of tinker with some stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's one of those years, I think, where, you know, you may look up in April and see who's starting on the weekend and who are the key relievers, and it might be completely different than what you see this first weekend. But, you know, that, I think that's kind of the exciting part about this team is, um, is that, you know, it's a big puzzle and trying to figure out where to fit some of those guys in their key spots is going to be a, a big part of the early season. Uh, and, you know, it's when you have options, it makes that a lot more exciting rather than scary. Uh, you know, I was, I was part of some teams that, you know, we, we had some options, but we didn't really like a lot of them. Uh, so, you know, just you, you were throwing stuff against the wall and, you know, there was, you saw that a little bit last year with the inconsistency in the bullpen. That's, that's a scary place to be. Um, you know, when you have, when you have guys that you know can do it, but you don't know what you're getting every time out, that can be, that can make it really tough to kind of adjust and have in setting your rotation going into a season or into a series. But, you know, like I said, the exciting thing is, is that we've got options. So, um, that would be something worth following in the early season before we get to conference. Andrew, uh, what would you predict is going to be the strength of this of this team and this squad this year? Man, I think you know, like I, I would say, just the experience and the depth of the position players offensively. Um, you know, I think it's a really good mix of talent. You know, guys that have been there, um, and then you know they'll have some. They have some options. One of the things I like is, that, you know, the question about where Jared Thomas is going to play is going to uh, dictate a lot of the lineup, I think. You know, he's been moved out to center field some uh, early on, and, you know, we, can, we know he can play first base in the sleep. You know, they were counting on Luke Storm coming in and possibly filling that first base spot. But, 
you know, the, the thing they always had in their back pocket is that if it didn't work out, that JT can always play there, you know, and doesn't have to spend a whole lot of time to prepare for it. He's just naturally good at the spot, and he's had a lot of experience there. But the, the thing about it is that there's so many talented options that you can put in the outfield. Um, you know, you obviously Porter Brown's a guy that they're going to pencil in quite a bit. You have really talented freshmen and Will Gasparino and Tommy Farmer. Um, and then Max Blue's been hitting the ball as, as well as anybody uh, before the season. So, you know, the, it, there'll be there'll be some ways they can try out and tinker with the lineup a little bit and just kind of, like you said, that puzzle piece on the on the pitching side exists on the offensive side. You just know where a lot of the pieces fit already going into it offensively. But, you know, one of the ex- exciting things about it, I think, is, you know, we mentioned having the young guys with Tommy Farmer, Will Gasparino, um, is that you've got some other options when those freshmen need a break, you know, because that, that's something a lot of people, you know, don't really understand is that it's tough and it's adjustment, you know, no matter how good you are, there's, there's an adjustment going to this level of college baseball. And sometimes you just need a day off and recharge. And, you know, I mean, some, a lot of these kids haven't had a weekend where they've gone, you know, one for nine or zero for nine in their life. And, and that'll probably happen at some point for a freshman playing this level of competition, but being able to pin, slot some guys in and give them a spell for a day or two um, it, it, it is, is a nice luxury to have, you know, it's, it's just something that this lineup should be afforded uh, with the talent and depth that they've got and that they've built. So um, yeah, I think that's something that, that might play a key role. Uh, but, you know, mentioned farmer, he's, extremely athletic, possibly the best athlete on the team. Gasparino's, you know, kind of the headliner of that recruiting class coming in. And then, you you know, you brought in Seth Werchan and uh, Casey Cummings too. And it seems like Casey Cummings, every time they're on TV, whether it's the Fall World Series or alumni game, the kid hits a home run. So um, he, he might be a guy that surprises us too when he gets his chance. Uh, and then freshman Nick Sanders, talent-wise, is um, pretty special, you know, and – him evolving he's they've been toying with him at first base some and um i think that's a spot that he might get some looks if you end up putting jared out in center field or he may dh he's just got that kind of juice in his bat that you just may have to find a spot for him in lineup it does feel like a very deep team. We're talking to Drew Bishop, previewing the Texas baseball season. opens up tomorrow, three game series with San Diego. He is the director of scouting at Five Tool Baseball right now, former, though, um, you know, assistant AD at baseball operations at Texas, played at Texas, and knows this roster front to back. I mean, so many questions coming off of what you just said because, you know, the, the freshman class much heralded, and of course, the Major League draft did not diminish it. Uh, you mentioned Tommy Farmer from uh, Santa Monica, California. Uh, you mentioned Will Gasparino. He's the big 6'6 prospect. His uh, father is uh, the director of uh, what the minor leagues for the L.A. Dodgers. A uh, lot of expectation for these young guys, and that's why I say the mix of veterans and then you know the Jared Thomas, Jalen Flores group, and now here comes this, this really talented group of freshmen. Uh, how good is this Gasparino, and, and what can he provide in year one? He's special. You know, I think there, there's some things that you see him do. You know, I, at, probably at, at this time last year, I don't think there were a whole lot of people in the baseball world that thought that he was going to make it to campus. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of kid that you take a swing on in recruiting. And, you know, every, you know it's always funny. It's, you see the, the, the joke on, the, on all the websites when a kid commits for baseball, it's like, okay, what are the chances he shows up? You know, and 
that part of the game's changing a little bit. Uh, you know, I think you're going to start to see a lot more of those talented kids make it to college, um, partially because of the NIL and then partially with, you know, the draft being shortened and the prevalence of analytics in the sport. You know, I think that a lot of teams are just moving to models where they want the older guy coming out of college because they have more data on him. Um, so I think over these next couple of years, you're going to start seeing a lot more guys like that make it to campus. And, and Will falls into that category. You know, he's, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. You know, I, um, you know, I played with Drew Stubbs. Drew is one of my roommates and still one of my best friends. And, you know, I, I don't know if he's as straight line fast as Drew, but I think he's a little bit more polished at this point in his career than, than Drew was. But you, a lot of the things that you would have said about Drew as a prospect, you'd probably say about Will. Um, so, you know, obviously for Longhorn fans, that's an exciting thing if, if he even approaches that level of, of what Drew was able to do while on campus. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, he, he gets some of those comps because he's long, he's tall. Um, and, you know, obviously you mentioned the dad, his dad's baseball background and all that. He's, he's been around the game. He's played in a great program. And, um, you know, you, you talk about that freshman adjustment, you know, it's, it, you never know, you know, I think that's, that was one thing that always struck me is there's always a guy in every class that you don't expect as much from that comes out and ends up being one of your best players over the course of his career. And there's, there's always some that, that don't turn out to be that. So you never know, but um, you know, with the talent and upside that Will has along with a handful of some of these other kids in this class, it's, it's pretty exciting to think about the future for the Longhorns on the baseball field. Andrew, what are your thoughts about how, um, you know, coach Pierce now obviously becoming the uh, pitching coach as well, um, how that responsibility is kind of going to change um, the, his methodology, uh, having to be that hands-on. Do you, do you expect it to change anything at all? Not a whole lot. You know, I mean, he, as long as – I mean, the whole time I was there and even these past couple of years, he, he's always been involved to some extent with the pitching. Um, and so it's not like it's a new role for him. He's been a pitching coach. He's, he's done it at a really high level. Um, in his career so he knows he knows what he's doing obviously um, he knows he's he knows how to handle it and you know a big component of that is is having Chris Gordon in the building you know uh, he's not technically on the staff but in his role he's a lot allowed to help with a lot of the preparation for him so you know some of the day-to-day -day stuff that can bog down a pitching coach isn't really an issue for coach Pierce because he has Chris you know Chris was has a, a long track record of, of being a really successful coach and pitching coach specifically coming from Duke. And, um, you know, I know that, that that went into the decision of, of him taking on that role is that he knew he had somebody in the building that was going to be able to take away some of the day-to-day -day, uh, monotony that, that a pitching coach would have to, to handle um, if that was his only job. So, you know, I don't, I don't see it changing a whole lot. You know, I think, uh, the other component of it is, is, you know, coach Pierce has coached third in the past. And, you know, luckily on staff, you have a guy like Steve Rodriguez who, you know, he coached third when he was um, the head coach at Baylor. So he's got experience there. Um, you know, they brought it, you know, elevated Caleb from volunteer coach to full-time coach with the new, with the new rules. And then having too low back in the building is, is going to pay dividends. You know, it's a it, it's a well-constructed staff, I think. And, um, you know, 
pretty much all your bases are covered when it comes to position positionally uh, on the defensive side. Um, you've got people that coach each of those positions, and um, I don't think you're going to notice a whole lot of the change, you know, if you're it, based on the product that, that's going to be out on the field. Drew Bishop with us. Uh, you picked. You mentioned Tulo. Troy Tulowitzki is back, director of player development. We know how hands-on he was with uh, the Ivan Melendezes and the, the career, the, the Murph Staley, and just how much better they improved the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the director of player development role, what is that? I know it's kind of a new new role with David Pierce as head coach and pitching coach and Steve Rodriguez, Caleb Longley, and Philip Miller. How, do you, how would you define what uh, Troy is going to be asked to do day-to-day and as the season goes on? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the a lot of the value that Troy brought when I was there and, you know, I, what I'm assuming continues to bring is just, you know, the the respect that he commands uh, from the players because it's a, it's a guy that you know has done it at the highest level um, as well as anybody. You know, I mean, he, he's a guy that if he doesn't get hurt, he's probably in the Hall of Fame or still playing, you know. And, and so, you know, just that understanding and presence and aura that he has um, you know, I, I think it rubbed off quite a bit on the team uh, as far as, you know, it, he allows, he, he teaches them how to prepare, you know, and that was something that um, we were really good at, but when he came in, but just took it to another level when he got there. Um, you know, I think that he's just one of those guys that that's kind of what he was known for is his preparation and um, just being a, an all-out grinder, even at the talent level he was. And, you know, getting to see that work ethic and how to go about it has just, you know, been taken to another level with our team. Um, it's just – it's something that's there every day. And, and seeing those guys that have done it, just it tends to have a an effect on the players. I mean, probably a lot of in the same way that, uh, that a Michael Huff does on the football side of things. Just, just knowing that there's guys in the building that have seen it, have done it, um, it's just, it's just another, it's just another voice in there that kids can look to and really learn from. And um, you know, I think he's going to have a, a, a big, you know, he's a, he's another set of eyes to the coaching staff, which is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and having been in the pro game as long as he was, it's kind of just, it's a different, it's a different view and a different look and just, you know, sometimes a different way to go about things. And, you know, I, I know that we made some small tweaks here and there when he showed up, um, but just the, the aura that he brings, the, the confidence that he gives the kids, the, the ability to be a sounding board is invaluable. And I think that's, that that's what he brings to the program in spades. No question. Uh, last thing for me, Drew, we talked about the infield, the outfield a little bit, the pitching, the bullpen, has, it has to be developed, the puzzle that it is. What about catcher? I mean, uh, that obviously, Gary Gilmet was so vital last year, Silas Ardwan before that. Uh, that's always a huge yeah. position in college baseball to, to be a good backstop and handle the pitching staff. Um, is it Riley Galvan, the youngster from Sinton, and uh, who would be his top competition behind the plate? So I think, I think early on you're probably going to see a split um, what that split is, I guess, will be determined by how well they play. But Kimball Schusler, um, I think, has had a good offseason. Uh, and then Rylan Galvan. So the, the important thing is is that we have options. Again, I, you know, I don't know if, if – so, I'm sure plenty of people out there listening to this would remember that 2019 season when, when we lost DJ Petrinsky and then Michael McCann went from backup to everyday guy and then he got banged up and 
then we got we got put in a spot where you know it it was tough you know and having having an issue at catchers is, is is a scary scary proposition because it just affects so much um but you know i think the good thing is with those two guys you know you're you're not going to affect the pitching i think that's the thing you worry about the most with at the catching spot um obviously gilmet was a a very pleasant surprise the way he handled things last year. I mean, he had a track record at USC of doing well, uh, but I, I think he came in and kind of grabbed the bull by the horns, uh, no pun intended, but he um, was really good in that spot. And I think that they're at a spot with, with those two, with Schuessler and Galvan that they feel comfortable. Um, and that's, you know, the, the tricky thing about it when you're evaluating it on the, on the baseball side for the catching spot is a lot of the, it's one of those positions that a lot of the things that really matter, you don't notice a whole lot unless it goes yeah. wrong. And, and so, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that you can tell pretty early on. And, you know, it, it, we've been blessed the last couple of years with some of the guys that you mentioned, you know, Silas was probably as good as we've had going back to a guy like Cameron Rupp and Taylor Teagarden. So, you know, it, not having a huge drop off last year was invaluable. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that's going to be a big part of it is just getting those guys comfortable with the pitching staff. Um, and, and you may see, you know, I mean, a lot of people go back to when you had the duo of Taylor T garden and Curtis Thigpen, where it was kind of one, a one B and the other one would stay in the lineup. Um, I, I think the, I think between those two guys, you know, you may see some situations where one guy catches another guy more often. Um, and it may, you know, so that may come down to who's, uh, who's putting the lineup is who's starting that day. So, um, but the, the, overall, the important thing is, is you got two guys that they feel comfortable with and um, look forward to ha- having throughout the season. Drew, we appreciate that very much. That's really a good deep dive into this Texas baseball team as the Longhorn fans try to get up to speed on what's coming. Uh, great schedule this year. There's a great uh, tournament down in Houston that they're going to be a part of. Yep. We'll certainly talk about that. But, man, thanks so much. Uh, we'll check in again as the season progresses, as the puzzle gets played. But a lot of, lot of talent at all levels, and it um, looks like it's going to be a fun year of Texas baseball. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely, guys. Hook them. There you Thanks, go. Joe. Former Texas player, former director's uh, uh, baseball operations t- boss there, mm-hmm. working with David Pierce, and now uh, the director of scouting for Five Tool Baseball. And that's a deep dive on this team. Really talented. That's the thing that jumps out because uh, kind of like, again, the Texas football team, Rod, they had guys that probably could have moved on or you thought would move on, like Porter Brown. How good was Porter Brown last year? Peyton Powell at third base. Uh, Jack O'Dowd at second base. They're all mm-hmm. back. They're all back. LBJ and Tanner Witt on the mound. And um, then you, you have the guys that, as he said, Will Gasparino, Rod, is a name to watch because, as he just said, most everybody in the baseball industry thought he would be drafted and he'd be gone. He'd be playing minor league baseball, making a move on to the major leagues. He's going to be playing in the outfield of Texas for the next three seasons. Yeah. That's fun. Tommy Farmer, he mentioned, the, the best athlete on the team, 6'3", kid out of Santa Monica, California. Uh, so, And then you've got, like, Jared Thomas and – Jalen Flores, who's going to play shortstop for you, they started as true freshmen and struggled at times, but by the end of the year, they're playing really good. Mm-hmm. And so they should take a step as a sophomore. It looks like a pretty talented team to me. And uh, David Pierce coaching the pitching, Troy Tulowitzki back. There's just a lot to like about this ball club. And I say one thing before we wrap that up, get a timeout, sure. come back over behind the Bernard's Court, and can't give enough credit to Tanner Witt because I mean, he's back. Remember, he didn't have to come back in the last year and go out there for his team and give it a try, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't pitch great. 
But that's how much being a Longhorn means to him. That he, you know, a lot. Of, he's a top prospect type guy. He he could have just said, you know, guys, I'm shutting this down. I'm I'm not coming back. Yeah. I'll see you later. And there he was, back out there trying, trying to work his way back. It didn't go great, but now he's had a full off season. And boy, you know that dude's a bulldog. Bulldog. You're going to get that mentality. And between he and LeBaron Johnson Jr., that can that's where the uh, you know the the attitude of this team can come from because mm-hmm. those two guys are absolute. You know, bulldogs on the mound. So we're looking forward to it. It will be a good baseball season. Dishfalk Field will be hopping this weekend. San Diego in town. Yes, uh, Friday at 7, Saturday afternoon, 2.30, Sunday at 1 for the first series of the weekend. It's supposed to be nice weather, right? It is. Well, windy, I think, Saturday. They're looking okay. for wind. But, sure, it's always nice to be out at the dish. You know what I'm saying? The dish. We'll come back. Rod will have, to have us behind the VOC. We'll say, play some who said that for the end of the hour. It's Hook em Up with Ian Rodby. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've got it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, um, welcome back. It's time to get to Rod's rant of the day. Got a couple of clips that we're going to play from um, NFL Films, actually, uh, to continue um, putting a bow on the NFL season. But NFL Films does a great job. They keep releasing the audio foot, the audio and the footage, if you will, of the Super Bowl and different snippets from it, and kind of kind of taking you back through the uh, through the experience. And the latest audio that I want to get to uh, is from inside the NFL uh, when the uh, coin toss and the overtime period um, went down. And, of course, after that, the controversial decision uh, by Kyle Shanahan to take the ball for the 49ers and then the reaction by the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I think it's pretty good. And also we got some sound from Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey uh, during their podcast, and they're discussing uh, the moment that the San Francisco 49ers decided to accept the ball in overtime. Um, a lot of people believe that was a miscalculation uh, by my boy Shano. And then I also want to get to some sound from NFL Films for the, from that third and four, uh, that, that crucial third and fourth, the two-minute mark uh, in the fourth quarter, that also really, really important series could decide the game for the 49ers if they had converted that. Uh, I don't know if Patrick Mahomes ever even sees the field again and the 49ers get their uh, their Super Bowl championship. All right, so let's get to the first clip here. Now, the first clip is from uh, inside the NFL. This was after – this is the coin toss for overtime and then the miscalculation after the 49ers and Shano decide to take the football. Here's the audio. You go with the toss? Yeah. Which way you want to kick it? They call it. They call it, right? Yeah, they call the coin flip. It's their coin flip, right? Which way do you want to kick it? We want the ball, Fred. San Francisco, you are still the visitors. What is your call? Tails again. He called tails again. It is tails. You want the ball? Which way do you want to kick? We're going to kick that way. San Francisco received first and overtime. Good luck, gentlemen. They want it. They want the ball. They wanted it. Hey, they want it. They wanted it, baby. We want them to have the ball. <laughs> they want it, they can have it. Hey, even if we score a touchdown, they still get the ball. I didn't know that. <laughs> didn't know that. <laughs> That's Kyle Juszczyk. I heard that. 
Jay, you said something about Patrick Mahomes. All right, there you go. That was um, that was actually Juice checking in, saying, oh, you know, even if we score, they still get the ball back again. <laughs> uh, so, and, and everybody, the reactions were usually by Patrick Mahomes, and then it was uh, Travis Kelsey saying, they want it, we want them to have it. Uh, so it, they were giddy about it, and I think that's the uh, first miscalculation that Kansas City got exactly what they wanted and what they had planned for, which was the 49ers taking the football in that situation with the new overtime rules. Now, Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey did their podcast. I don't know when they recorded this. They've been really busy. Uh, they recorded one of their uh, podcasts post-Super Bowl, and they also had a reaction, uh, or at least gave their reaction, to the 49ers deciding to take the football. Here is uh, Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey on their podcast giving their reaction to the moment. Possession. You win the coin toss. That's that's what you get. You get the opportunity to have the advantage, and they handed it right over to us. Yeah. Well, Damn I mean, it, 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 not trying to harp, harp on the guy, but it was a huge. Like when they said we want to receive, and the ref looked at Fred and he said, "Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> you sure yeah, you want to receive?" And he said, "Yeah, I was, yeah, I want to receive. I want the ball." I was, I was texting. Just like, I got. I jumped out of my seat and said, "They're Hey, hey, here we go. Here we go. Let's go, boys. Perfect. They want to receive. We get second possession. We know exactly what they want. Defense, hold them. Just hold them to three. I don't like just hold them to three. We're gonna go down here and win this thing, baby. Freaking crazy, really was. I was texting Nick in the before that even happened because we go over the same situation in playoff football. Wow, yeah, he basically said it. Nick Nick Sirianni is who he's referring to, and Nick, I was texting Nick because we go over the same situations. So yeah, I mean, Kansas City Chiefs, it's pretty obvious they're on the field at the time, and then Travis Kelsey telling you in retrospect they got exactly what they wanted, uh, which was to get the ball second um, and then having the opportunity to go win the game um, depending on what the 49ers did. And they only got three. Man, brutal. That is brutal. That's brutal. So even if – I mean, I know – and I'm, so we're past the point of whether, whether they knew the rules or not. That's not even the point. The point is let's assume they all did know the rules. They still wanted the ball. Because they want to get the ball third, that's what their analytics department told them. But as we know now, and Patrick Mahomes has reiterated, he actually had an interview from Disneyland, World, wherever he went, uh, that he said, oh, yeah, we were going to go for two. Andy Reid doesn't like me keep saying this, but we were going to go for two anyway after he scored a touchdown. So if they scored a touchdown, they weren't getting the ball back. They yeah, and that's a- what uh, – I mean, that's obviously – we heard right immediately after Chris Jones after the game, right in the post game, talking about, yeah, man, we went over this all, all every week, every day during practice. We talked about this. If we got to overtime, all the way back to training camp. So the the Chiefs, you could tell, were excited because they they had a plan. I mean, oh, yeah. we we won. our fifteen gets the ball last. Yep, yep. That's all they wanted. <laughs> yeah, uh, which which means you know if if they were planning to go for two. They already had a play, a money play, ready to go. I mean, had a they, money, the, corn dog ready to go, corn for, dog the ready to go for the game winner. <laughs> you know Andy Reid had something dialed up that was going to be the play to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, that was a miscalculation by, by Kyle Shanahan. And, again, he can talk about analytics, and that's where, what our analytics told us and whatnot. But still, as I said, every team moving forward, even in this playoffs, you should have realized the mission, number one, is to not let him have the ball last. Exactly. However, yep. we can control that at the end of a game. Yep. We he can't have the ball last. Keep away is your number one priority. He's just too keep, good. Just keep the ball away from him. Yeah, he doesn't get the ball back. We win. Period. Yes. That's how we win. We, he just doesn't need to see the ball again. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, obviously the NFL films. That's uh, good It's going to haunt my man Shannon. Okay, so we got another piece of audio here that I think is pretty good. So the third and four. Remember the third and four, the two minute mark, and. That, 
there are some people that believe this may have been the most important sequence of the game. Um, and I, I think Brock Purdy let him down on this because there was a wide open hot route, hot, wide open hot read after Trent McDuffie blitzes. But Brock Purdy doesn't see him, throws to the outside receiver on the double slant, and we know uh, that ended up being incomplete. Uh, but this piece of audio is also from NFL Films, and I just love the reaction by everybody, including myself. Remember I said at the time, all right, so this must be the money play. This is the play that Shano's got dialed up that he knows going to work. He went deep into his creative bag for it. Listen to everybody's reaction about how crucial and pivotal this third and fourth moment was. We get a first down, we knock a lot of time off this clock. Biggest play in the game right here. Your best play that you have in your book right now. Because you don't want to give Mahomes the ball back. Uh, all right. Hey, man, we got camp. no sacks, obviously. Hey, alert the pressure. We cannot take a sack. Purdy looking left. Ball got tipped. Right out of his hand. McDuffie pressure. Nobody blocked him. Biggest snap of the game. You know Spags is going to have his best play dialed up, and so is Shanahan. And look at this. They get a free runner pressure. They got about 10 of them this game. <laughs> they got more than anybody in the league, and this guy's been central. McDuffie has been great in these situations. And if you're at the end, that's Shannon saying, give it to Christian McCaffrey, because I think he believes the hot route, the best route is Christian McCaffrey. I thought the best hot route was Brandon Ayuk, who came right off the line of scrimmage after Trent McDuffie blitzed, and he came off the line of scrimmage with his hands up in the air like, hey, just throw the simple slant to me, and I'll be wide open. Shannon was yelling for him to throw it to Christian McCaffrey, who also beat his DB too, but I don't know if Brock Purdy was looking at that hot route. So actually with two routes, there were open hot routes that Brock Purdy could have went to. He went to the one that wasn't a hot route on the outside uh, and then ended up being a, a tip pass and incompletion anyway. And if you, uh, if you remember early on in that clip, the, the ones who sang, all right, Shannon's got to have his best play, those are the officials. Yes. The officials were sitting there saying, all right, he's got to have his best play. Whatever Shannon's got. Don't want to get the ball back to Mahomes. Yeah, they do. yeah that, was, that was the officials saying, you don't want to get the ball back to Mahomes. Even the officials knew, like, nah, man, you can't get the ball back to that dude. And, well, we all know how it ended. He gave the ball back to that dude. And the rest is history. That dude. Uh, yeah, so NFL Films. I love NFL Films. It's Me great. too. I mean, that's, that's so good. It's the stuff behind the scenes there. But I think we were all thinking the same thing. They, the, the 49ers needed a money play. And even the guy didn't announce it said, all right, the channel's best play versus the number one play that Spags got dialed up. I think Spags got the best of them. Spags, the one he dialed up, the cornerback blitz, the uh, slot blitz there, ended up working perfectly. But there, there was an opportunity to make the adjustment, and I just think Brock Purdy missed the hot route. He missed two. Yeah. He missed two hot reads on that one play. Shannon had one built in, and the other one was Brandon Ayuk. The player adjusted hot route. Brock Purdy hit either one of them. Gosh, that's, that's football. That's the game. That's the game. Uh, <laughs> that's the and, game. You know, by the way, I, I did heat read, and I think it was um, – one of the one of the NFL insider was talking about a conversation he had with Steve Spagnuolo, and you went through when your Rod's rant uh, one of the days this week talking about all the the blitz packages and the man oh. covers they went to. Oh man! And uh, he was talking about how look credit to to Brock Purdy, 
we came out and played a lot of zone early, but he was shredding. He was getting after us. That's when we shifted. Spagnola mm-hmm. uh, was talking about how that – okay, we, he yep. forced us to shift, yep. and we just went to man. And we, as you said, we had a lot of zero blitzes, a lot of man coverage, tried to uh, – and, you know, he didn't react to it very well. He was he – was, he, he was, Spags was very complimentary about how he handled their zones and their zone looks. But um, that's why they shifted. But at the same time, those were throws you got to make. And, and yeah. you know, maybe in future years for Brock Purdy, he will. But, uh, man, that was – yeah, I mean, it was it was, a, it was amazing uh, game plan by Spag. They probably should put that game plan in the Hall of Fame too. I mean, that's a great because he, he ran sixty percent man coverage, guys. That was the highest rate of man coverage since Spags has been a defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. Talk about breaking tendency. There was there was nothing on the record that would say he would ever go above fifty two percent man coverage rate. That was the highest man coverage rate he had ever, he had run prior to that Super Bowl, and he went to sixty percent. He was extreme and excessive, and it worked. It did work, and it did work, and that play was massive. Gosh oh, dang. it was huge. Man. They, uh, they, they, I think they win the Super Bowl. If, yeah, uh, if he converts if it. He converts. And obviously a lot of people pointed out the missed extra point. That, too, was a critical play. There yeah, you know what? You're off, you, you know what? You fired your, your D.C. You need to fire your special, special. teams coach. Think about the special teams. You had a Peter call that nobody uh, was adhering to, and that's why you had the ball that hit one of your, uh, your, your punt coverage guys ended up hitting them in the back of the leg was because there's a Peter call. For those who know, a Peter call is when you yell a certain call um, and everybody vacates that area because they do not want the ball to hit them unintentionally. So Peter call, either not observed or not utilized, and then you have the blocked extra point, which could end up being the play of the game. Your special teams was terrible. Yeah, uh, and cost you big time. It cost you. Uh, huge. Yeah. Uh, set up the first touchdown when you were doing a great job defensively, and then you know the missed extra point was, was critical. All right, we'll come back. Uh, we'll play some Who Said That, Rod. Who we'll get to that? that coming. Also into our fabulous fifth hour. Took him up with Ian Rodney. Aaron Hogan. He's got to keep living, man. Rod Babers. L-I-V-I-N. E and Rod B. On the horn. Ooh, and this saying that. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Oh, it is time for Who, Who? Said That? Who Some great audio that? from the landscape. And uh, I'm going to play this for you, Rod. This is an, uh, a piece of audio I wish we didn't have to hear this morning, but uh, someone who should be recognized. Ty, Rod, can you, Ty, can you go ahead and play this uh, from uh, what we all witnessed, unfortunately, yesterday? One guy was hollering, saying, you know, stop him, or catch him, you know, tackle him, whatever. And he's just, just bailing running. And out of nowhere, I heard that guy hollering, so I'm just like, okay, well, I'm right here. And I just, I didn't even think about it. It was just a reaction. I didn't hesitate. It was just, just do it. So I went to go tackle him, and another gentleman did the same thing. And as I'm tackling him, I see his weapon either fall out of his hand or out of his sleeve because he was wearing a long jacket or like a Carhartt. So when I seen that hit the ground, I'm like, oh, you know, we got to take this guy down. And so... Like I said, I did, and another good Samaritan did, and we held him down. And it seemed like forever, but it probably wasn't. It was like 30 seconds holding him down, and me and the other gentleman are hollering at ongoers, you know, where's the cops? Where's, you know, get the cops over here, get the cops over here. You know, we got them. Wow. Yeah, That's powerful. powerful. Yeah. 
Um, obviously, one of the, uh, the brave men, and, uh, women, and first responders who were running toward the danger to try to help those folks at the parade. I'm not sure who it was. That's Paul Contreras. This is actual just a Kyle Chiefs fan. Wow. Uh, he who just tackled the, the, the guy in the Carhartt. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, uh, they're calling him the, the Omaha hero. Uh, the key. I mean, and right not. Right, right, I mean, you know, unbelievable. Uh, it really is. Hard to hear, but uh, so glad that there were good Samaritans there and waiting for the authorities to come help. But, uh, yeah, it's not, essentially disarmed the guy and held him down until the, the proper authorities could take him and haul his ass to jail. That's amazing. I mean, that's a, that's a, um, a really is an extraordinary story of just, uh, you know, bravery, courage. Yeah. Uh, in a and he said, like as that. he said, it was just a reaction. It was just, I mean, you, 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 but, but you, that reaction is huge. You saved lives. I mean, he saved people's lives with that reaction. So uh, it's really sad, obviously, that's what it came down to. But I'm um, glad that we have human beings with that kind of spirit because uh, we need more of them. Yes. More of that. Um, all right, Ty, I sent you a bunch of uh, clips. You can dial any of them up. We can continue to play. Who said that? We want to be the 33rd NFL team. We believe the way college football is going, you need to understand a salary cap. You need to understand how to build a roster through both the draft and free agency or both through recruiting and the portal. You need to bring in NFL scheme. If you look at the top eight defenses in college football last year, three coordinators came from the NFL prior to. That's why I hired Steve Belichick. If you watch the 49ers offense, the Rams offense, the Bengals offense, even a lot of the Chiefs offense, that's what we run. We know that having Coach Belichick on defense, Coach Carroll on offense, there's nothing more attention that's going to be brought to our program than that. And if you want to be the NFL 33rd team, you might as well have two iconic head coaches' sons running the offensive and defensive side of the ball and have two iconic head coaches making a lot of trips to Seattle to see our team practice and see our team play. And that's where I think we separate ourselves. Ooh, that's awesome. Who said that? It's Jed Fish, yeah, the new yeah, head coach man. of Washington. I played some sound from him earlier last week talking about similar on a radio interview he did. Man, that guy. He's, he's all about it. We, we're an NFL team, 30 to 33rd Look, that's, I mean, I know a lot of people <laughs> hate the state of college football right now, but it is what it is. got to embrace it. I think Sark's done a good job of that, and that's mm-hmm. as bold as you get. Like He gets it. Yeah, and, and, you know, and while people are talking about, you know, when we've talked about you know, college coaches bailing to get to the NFL, you know, there's a guy embracing it saying, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to try to be like the NFL. Yep. Um, and we're going to use the NFL as our uh, as an example for us and for our young people. That's exactly right. And I think that's that's smart. Look, he just took Arizona to a ten and three season. Uh, they you know finished in the top what twelve in the country when it was all said and done. Arizona exactly. and uh, the Longhorns, of course, just hired Johnny Nansen to be their linebackers coach. That was great. That was great. That Jed Fish, also the hero from Kansas City yesterday. Good stuff. And who said that? Who said that? Uh, also appreciate our man Drew Bishop last in this hour. That was good stuff on Texas baseball. You know a lot more about that team than you did before. You listened to who's to uh, hook them up. That's for sure. Appreciate Drew very, very much. All right, we'll come back when we do. It's the fabulous fifth hour. We roll on. Hook them up with Ian Rodby.